Matt Valley, and welcome to the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Today's guest is Orlando Wood, the Chief Innovation Officer of System One Group, formerly Brain Juicer. Now, I first met Orlando 10 years ago, I think. 10 years it ago. It was 10 years ago, in Orlando. <laughs> in Orlando, in Orlando, fancy that. <laughs> So we met 10 years ago when I was the member, a member of something called the Marketing Insights Council for the American Marketing Association. We were presiding over the second annual Four Under 40 Emerging Leader Award, of which Orlando was a recipient. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Yes, it feels a long time ago now, but um, it yes. Does. It does, but I have to say with the way that your career has, has unfolded, uh, you certainly didn't prove us wrong. So appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks for, thanks for inviting me on today. Lovely to see you again to chat. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So a couple of things we're going to get into here today, um, in addition to the work that he's done at, uh, at System One Group, be the chief innovation officer of the most innovative research company is, is quite a thing. So that's cool, um, but not enough for Orlando, right? He's, he's written a very successful book on advertising called Lemon, uh, how, how the advertising brain turns sour, right? Uh, That's right. And I understand you're working on a sequel to that? That's right. I'm, I'm writing another book uh, at the moment, which is due to come out uh, this October. So uh, uh, it's been a very busy few months for me. So uh, yeah, absolutely excited about that. Great. Well, welcome to the podcast, Orlando. Super excited. Thank you. All right. So now let's, let's start with... Uh, Let's start with research, you know, the reason why we're here. So um, what what kind of brought you into the space? What uh, what attracted to you and, and why have you stuck around? Well, very, very you know, it's a very, very good question. And, and um, I suppose I've, I've always been interested in um, in in the way people think and uh, people and communication and uh, psychology. And uh, that, that's what got me into things. Um, uh, I suppose I, I was, I'd done my degree, I'd done my um, master's degree, mm -hmm. and I'd done my master's degree in 17th century French literature. Um, so uh, perhaps, you know, you might not think that relevant to today's world, but uh, actually it was, it turns out, because uh, it, in that master's degree, I traced changes in, culture changes in in, in 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 sort of the way that poetry and, and drama kind of looked and felt in over a period of about 50 years and funnily enough that's pretty much what I've been doing recently in the book Lemon and in the new book I'm going to be bringing out this autumn and it it, it shows how the creative arts you know are, are a sort, sort of reflect the society of the time in which they're made and you know you can track track changes perhaps even predict changes uh in culture ahead of time by studying them so anyway i was i was doing this research on 17th century french literature i decided not to go down that academic route and become a lecturer or professor of french um right. but instead to get a job uh in the real world um <laughs> and um and I thought, well, you know, marketing is pretty interesting and it deals with how people think and how to how you connect with people. 
and then I thought, well, perhaps, perhaps research, perhaps market research would be a good way in. And uh, so I, I joined a small uh, company uh, at the time called Simon Godfrey Associates. And I sort of learned uh, how to do some pretty um, statistical uh, quantitative research, you know, and it was all about predicting uh, volume estimates for, for, you know, big brands and, and how much they were going to sell. Right. In the coming years. Um, so it's pretty rigorous. And um, anyway, uh, after a few years there, I moved to what was Brain Juicer and, um, uh, you know, developed a, an interest in how people think and feel and what this might mean for better measurement and different ways of measuring, uh, you know, uh, and predicting outcomes for marketing. And uh, that led me to my current role, really, which is uh, you know, looking after innovation and, and, and I suppose thought, you know, thought leadership for the, for the company. Right, right. Okay, great, great. <clears throat> well, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, specifics of, of what you have been researching and, and writing about. <clears throat> but before we get into that, uh, the word on the street is that you're actually quite, uh, quite a good watercolorist. <laughs> So, <laughs> yes, well, so that's uh, enthusiastic, that. I would say, Matt, uh, enthusiastic uh, watercolorist. Yes, um, well, your, your sources are, are, are very good. Um, I, I did pick, I picked up, I mean, I've always been interested in art and I've always, always enjoyed it. And I picked up watercolors probably about nine years ago, something like that. Okay. And um, I, uh, I got into it because, well, I had, had a, some time off work, a sabbatical, um, and, you know, I, I was on holiday and started painting. And, and actually, I picked up the work of a brilliant watercolorist called Roland Hilda, who lived in the 20th century. Yeah. And he, he did some wonderful landscapes, very evocative, you know, um, uh, in, I mean, English, British landscapes mostly but seascapes as well and um there was just something about them i thought that's really really wonderful and uh it made me want to do it myself i thought well you know how can it be that difficult you know can we perhaps i can teach myself so i, I did i started to teach myself and sort of copied his work I mean, you learn by doing you learn through copying you right. know and uh i learned some of his techniques and um you know how to capture an atmosphere you know clouds shapes contours how to give emphasis sorts of things and yeah it's it a wonderful thing to immerse yourself in you sort of completely forget everything else you know while you're doing it so it's a lovely thing to do yeah I'm interested in so you said you started copying his work what yeah. does that entail does in, does that entail just just by looking and trying to understand how we accomplish something or yeah, well, you have, well, you have, it's that, but it's also, he was, he, luckily for me, he wrote a few books on how you approach painting in watercolor. Okay. And I don't know if anyone is a watercolorist who's listening at the moment, but um, what you have to, it's not like oils. Watercolors require you to do uh, several washes. So you do a, a wash and yeah. then you let it dry and then you have to do another wash and you let it dry. You do another one and you build it up and build it up. And that, that requires, and normally you start with, if you're doing a landscape, you start with what happens in the, you know, in the far distance because they're the fainter 
colors and then you dry and then and the sky as well you'll do and then you'll build forwards in, in the picture so so you have to plan it and you have to think carefully about well what bits am i going to start with here and how am i going to build up that sense how am i going to build, create a cloud you know how do you do that sort of thing and so it does require a bit of forethought uh, in the planning but it also requires i think you know sort of sometimes a happy accident and and to persevere with your mistakes because you know you, you sometimes you do something oh no that really doesn't look very good and sometimes you just got to plow on and sometimes that can turn into something really quite good um and, and unexpected and um so you know there's persevere is, is what i'd say don't give up uh, if you feel you've made a mistake that's a, a lesson in all in all things uh, not just watercolors so i think that's you know really really valuable thing so but it, it does require you to sort of know a little bit about what you're doing so some technique but also you know a, a good eye to be able to sort of work out how you how you might construct something it it strikes me that um each like painting as well as writing and researching they're, they're all pretty intensive um disciplines right yeah. so you've got all of this you know happening uh in parallel uh in your head right so are there any lessons uh, or parallels that you draw between let's say what you're doing on a canvas versus what you do in your your day-to-day -day life yeah, I think I think there are. I mean, it depends. It, it sort of depends what your day to day life or day to day profession is. But if you're in a creative profession or uh, in working in innovation or, um, you know, uh, an area which doesn't have, I suppose, rigid rules, you know, things to stick to, then I'd say it, that there are a lot of parallels. I mean, one is, um, you know you need a sort of you need to have a sense of lots of things perhaps happening at once and how they might inter in, interrelate with each other uh you you need to have a, a vague plan but perhaps not too precise um because the things tend to come together in the end if they're meant to and and so you know trying to lay things out in a very linear fashion up front doesn't always doesn't always work i mean it may look it's sort of an engineering mindset but it doesn't doesn't always work when it comes to creating new things particularly you know anything like art or poetry or you know uh, music that sort of thing so it's good to have a sense of where you might be going but not necessarily to know the destination is what i'm trying to say and then um you know there are a few other things i'd say as well it's sort of important to respect spontaneity and uh you know as i said mistakes that uh mistakes that you think are mistakes but actually might turn into something interesting and uh i think it was leonardo who 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 said that um you know that you you, you paint if you're painting or something you know a mural on the wall you know go with the go with the shapes of the plaster and the you know on the wall because that that gives that that frees the imagination or it enables the imagination. It's a step for the imagination to do something. So, you know, don't bring your thinking to the thing, let the, th let the thing impose itself on you, sort of, in, in a way. There's, a, there's quite a lot of that, uh, I think, is important. Um, and then I think uh, play, you know, you don't, you don't give up. 
and play you know perhaps it's we try this with that or that with that and that that idea of, of playing i think is is pretty important you also need to have a sense of the broader picture but also the detail for any given part and don't overstress sometimes you know don't overstress the detail certainly i'm thinking in art here because um the more you work at something and the more detail you put into everything can actually re reduce the life and the vitality in the thing so you, you're actually stripping it of its of its movement and its life if you do right. that um, so you need to have think broad picture as well as the you know detail how much detail you want to give to any given given part and i think you know the other thing i'd say is um just don't be afraid to to try it to do it um mm -hmm. because you know you, you can always do another if this one doesn't work yeah. um and, and you know don't be don't be fearful of um of trying something uh, i think that's a really important lesson so i just a, yeah i mean there are a few thoughts on um i suppose art and art and creativity in general i think yeah yeah that's wonderful um so speaking of creativity um uh thinking of the advertising world now right? yeah so so lemon is about advertising and would love to hear uh love for you to share uh, a bit about uh first of all what inspired you to write the book and then maybe some some uh top line lessons that people absolutely well here here is the here is the book uh lemon um and what inspired me um was actually this this book here by uh ian mcgilchrist the master and his emissary a very big uh, thick book um the divided brain in the making of the western world um and uh uh i mean i'd been working in advertising research for a while before this and i'd noticed right. that uh advertising was changing in style that we were getting far fewer characters you know recurring characters sorts of thing that i mean the, the geico gecko still exists but you know it's, it's, a, it's a rare breed that that kind of character you know um and right. people in advertising um just seem to be disappearing and i thought why is this i can't really explain this and i was uh, i i came across the work of ian mcgilchrist and he's a, a psychiatrist a neuropsychologist and he's written a book about how the brain attends to the world and the different modes of attention that we bring to bear on anything it is that we're you know we're doing and you know sort of since the 60s and 70s um brain lateralization the study of you know the left and the right hemispheres has been uh it, it sort of became very popular and was there therefore uh, had a stigma attached to it in in professional you know study of of the brain and the two halves of the brain and so it was um you know largely dismissed you know there's no difference between the left and the right hemisphere they you know they do they're all in, you know, there's not it's not worth not something worth studying but but mcgilchrist persevered and he did study it um for many many years and what he found is really extraordinary and that's that the uh it's not that the left and the right brain do different things it's that they do things differently they have different takes on the world different priorities different modes of attention that they bring to bear on the world so the left brain is very narrow and goal orientated in its attention and mm -hmm. it tends to break things up into smaller parts into into ever finer detail to abstract things from their context 
um, and it thinks of things in very linear terms, sort of black and white terms. Uh, things are either right or wrong, um, sort of very binary in its way of thinking. And it has no real uh, understanding of, of lived time. It, it sort of breaks things down into snapshots, into moments, into atomized kind of, you know, uh, like pictures, if you like. And it flattens things too. So it can't really see things in depth or in perspective. And it has no real sense of music other than very basic rhythm. Um, now the right brain has a very broad and vigilant uh, sort of attention that it brings to bear on the world and sustained attention. And it sort of uh, makes sure that, you know, we don't become someone else's lunch. You know, it's sort of broad and, and vigilant. Whereas the left brain is, is that sort of narrow goal orientated. It's, it's like in birds when they, they're pecking around for grain, you know, or, or grubs. That's the, left, that's the left hemisphere in action. The right hemisphere will be making sure they don't get eaten themselves. And so that broad vigilant attention, which is also associated uh, with, with social bonding and uh, an understanding grounding us in the world, really, um, making sure that we are you know, at one with the world and understand what's going on around us and the people around us as well. So um, that, that is what, that is the right brain that gives us our sense of lived time that gives us our appreciation of music, of depth, of ambiguity. That means that we can understand that two contradictory thoughts might be true at the same time, which means that we can understand humor and metaphor, all of these really important things. And what, what Ian McGilchrist argues very convincingly is that at certain times in history, um, we become a bit left brain dominant and so everything becomes quite narrow, goal-orientated, attention narrows, that we become uh, very literal, very linear in our thinking styles. Of all the emotions, it's only anger that lateralizes to the left brain. The left brain likes to control um, and manipulate the world. And you end up in a sort of a, a, a brittle period, you know, where... Um, it, it, a fearful uh, period, actually. Um, and so what, uh, what I did in Lemon was that I looked at advertising styles through this lens. You know, there are certain features in advertising which you can pinpoint as being in nature more left-brained or right-brained, you know, so words on the screen uh, telling you what to think and do, you know, which you see quite a lot today. Um, the emphasis on the word is very much like the emphasis on the word in, in Reformation art. But, but you get this sort of um, directness and literalness and, and the breaking up of advertising into short, sharp cuts. So there's, no, there's not a scene played out in, in live time, but, you know, just lots of little, little short, sharp cuts. Uh, highly rhythmic advertising. Um, these sorts of things and a move away from characters interacting with each other in a, in a defined place. And it's, I showed in Lemon that you know, in the last 15 years, in the, the period in which advertising effectiveness has fallen, according to Peter Field and other lesbianette and you know, other commentators, that we've seen a massive swing in creative style towards this very literal, rhythmic, word-based, um, mechanistic advertising, 
which you know would favor the way that the left brain thinks about the world and the left brain approaches the world and we moved away from all the things that the right brain cherishes and actually that are important for capturing people's attention and holding that attention and uh, important for eliciting an emotional response and important therefore for driving lasting business effects so we've gone very short term which fits also with the left brain's rather impetuous thinking style. And there are, you know, there are good reasons why this might have happened. And, um, uh, you know, in this technological age, which brings in, ushers in new habits of thinking, which are quite uh, engineering focused, that are quite linear, that help us to, you know, to, to get a job done. Um, but perhaps introduce a different kind of creativity that's perhaps more about iterative, you know, sort of improvements rather than big leaps of creativity that involve people and the way that they connect with each other. So, so that was the premise of Lemon, that we'd seen this shift in advertising style, that it wasn't helpful for effectiveness, and that could be traced to the way that we're all thinking. And uh, I'm going to be following this up in a new publication this October um, where I talk more about that and uh, how it's uh, you know that other features of advertising have come to the fore and how we uh, need to be careful because um, there's a kind of rigidity that's entered into advertising that that and into the world generally that it, you know we need to be careful of and we need to think of ways in which we can reintroduce movement and life and, and love actually into everything that we do. Great, great. Excellent, so you said October for the follow-up. Yes, yes, um, uh, that's the plan. Um, so with the IPA, who are the publishers, the Institute of Practitioners in Advertising. Uh, and uh, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, going into design at the moment, so uh, exciting times. Great. Great. Well, <clears throat> you have been uh, a thought leader, uh, certainly uh, in the broader industry uh, for some time, and um, so you've shared you've shared uh, the book that was uh, part of the inspiration for the one that you recently. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure people would like to know what some of the other sources are that you turn to, either for personal enjoyment or for um, or professional inspiration. So it could be any kind of media, so books or, or yeah. podcasts, blogs. What are you What are it's, you looking into? It's a great. No, it's a good question, and it's one that um, I. Uh, it, it sort of depends what I'm working on at the moment, and you you know you sort of get a hunch for something, and you look at you look at um, what other people are referencing, and think well, that might be interesting. Perhaps I'll have a look at that, and and there is a creative phase when you have your mind open, you know, to all inputs. And then and in the end, your head is spinning because you can sort of see lots of different things and where this thing might go. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, there are lots of psychologists I've, I've you know, been uh, uh, very influenced by. Cool. I mean, all, Ian McGilchrist is being is the latest. Um, he and uh, there's another uh, psychiatrist, uh, psychologist called uh, Louis Sass, who I've been looking at recently. Um, but also, uh, of course, the, 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 all the ones we, we, we know, Daniel Kahneman, Gert Gigerenza, um, the, uh, the work of Antonio Damasio. I mean, there, there, are, lots, there are lots of um, uh, psychologists who you know, are important, Dan Ariely, of course. Um, but, but um, 
you know, I, I've also been recently drawing on other things, not just psychology, because um, while psychology is very interesting and very important, I think you also have to look to uh, other styles of thinking as well. Um, so the history of art, for instance, you know, I've been looking at recently the, the brilliant 1960s series made by Kenneth Clark in the UK, who was very popular in the US as well, um, called, a series called uh, Civilization. And, um, you know, it's sort of a long series of episodes looking at art and how it changes in different periods. And that's, that's what's in both Lemon and this latest book I'm, I've been writing is looking at art and how you can see in art um, changes in, in style and how things might become more abstract or um, you know, more focused on the word than the image or they lose their depth. You know, the way you, when you really look at something, it can give you a sense of what's happening around today. And I think that's, there's a great quote um, by Ruskin uh, who said something like uh, civilizations leave behind them a book of their book of their words, a book of their deeds, and a book of their art. And the only uh, faithful, truthful one of these is the last, the book of their art. Yeah. Um, because that tells you, you know, it gives you a much better sense of what's going on than someone's narrative. Um, and I think there's something in that. And so that's, you know, so I've been looking back at um, uh, at, at art history quite a lot to help us to understand what's going on today because i think you can see similar patterns uh in what in the images around us today that you could at other times in history um and you know that that might actually give us a sense of what could come next you know and how um and whether we want that so so uh, kenneth clark i'd urge anyone to look at kenneth clark's civilization it's you know of its time but it's still extremely helpful um, and I look at, um, you know, I, I suppose you, you just sort of get a scent for things, you know, what does that, where does that lead me and where could that take me? And, and that's interesting. Let's have a look at that. So if anyone was interested, uh, I would certainly recommend uh, The Master and His Emissary. Uh, if you haven't read it, do. I mean, I found it life changing. It helped to understand people around me, history, um, uh, what was happening in the world. I mean, it was, I thought it was magnificent. Still do. And um, there is also a, a channel, McGilchrist, that you can sign up to if you're interested in knowing more, where he talks quite a lot and gives um, answers questions and that kind of thing. So a very useful resource. I also think, um, uh, I mean, there are various marketing related things that I'm interested in. So I follow my colleague, John Evans has a, um, uh, another podcast. I don't know if you might, might mind me mentioning another podcast um sure. called the Uns the uncensored cmo uh where he talks to sort of senior marketing and advertising uh people uh and particularly you know if they're launching books or listening to um or, or you know bringing something out or talking about something um so he gets some very big names on there talking about about that i think that's a very yeah. helpful source of keeping up to date with what's going on at the moment um, and I, I think, I, you know, there are various advertising things that I think are interesting. There's a thing called um, Dave Dye's Stuff from the Loft, which I've, I've you know, looked at a, a lot. Um, and he, he interviews people in advertising who worked in advertising for, you know, many years. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a sense of uh, 
the craft skills that that are needed in advertising and how people used to think about things and how uh, and just just what's important really in connecting with audiences so i think that's been terrific too so i mean you know there are lots of i could there have lots of books here on uh, i'm glad you can't see them arranged on the floor behind me um which uh, have been very helpful but um i think that's uh, and actually one of them recently perhaps uh, one of the most enlightening ones if I can find it, it's, I've probably hidden it away. I had a tidy up here this morning, but if I could see it, you might be uh, you, you might be interested in it. Bear with me just a second. Uh, here we go. I mean, Chuck Jones's autobiography, Chuck a Muck. Like so <laughs> the the Looney Tunes, uh, you know, the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes are just an absolutely fascinating, entertaining, um, brilliant read um, because, you know, he talks about ways of working which are so different from anything that most of us do in a, in a, in a traditional job. Right. You know, that, that, that don't, that, you know, a very non-linear way of thinking and, and a sort of slightly irreverent way of thinking as well that lead, gets you to funny, entertaining characters and just the importance of, of characters and how you can, how, you know, that, that, that their uniqueness is what gives them their believability. You know, one of the thing, many things he says. So, yeah, uh, sorry, that was a rambling answer, but no, 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 lots, of, lots of sources, you know, for um, uh, philosophy too. I think it's, in, uh, I've been looking at the work of Henri Bergson, who talked about humor. That's one of the other things that I talk about in the new book about how humor has disappeared in culture but also yeah. in advertising um and how can we get it back you know um, and why is it disappearing yeah. and so I, i've been i talk quite a lot about that in the new book and um you know the the the, the, the dangers associated with when, when humor disappears uh, keeps us keeps us all flexible humor uh, and uh, things can get rather brittle without it yeah fascinating well i'm, I'm really looking forward to it so um thank you well, Orlando, this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, right? So, uh, so we have to get to music. Uh, and, and <laughs> yes. This is, <laughs> question, <laughs> this is a question I really, I really need to know, need to know the answer to. So, um, just going to throw it out. This there. is the this is the big one. Okay, this is the big one. This is the big one. So, just going to throw it out there. So you're stranded on a desert island, Orlando. Yeah. You have three records to okay right. for the rest of your days. What are they? Well, that's a, that's a, you know, that's really difficult, isn't it? Choosing any, choosing your 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 pieces. Ah, oh. well, I, I, I'm going to say there are th there are three, but the, you know, it's really difficult to choose any any music because uh, music's so important to me. I, I play the piano as well, so um, uh, I'm going to go for uh, the first one. Is is pretty. Uh, well, I'm going to for the first one is not rock and roll at all, it's, but it's, it's, it's probably the, the beginning, the beginning of, uh, of, of modern of, of Western music in many ways um, is is Johann Sebastian Bach's 48 Preludes and Fugues, the well-tempered clavier, uh, which was how I got into the um, playing the piano in the first place. So that that will definitely come with me. And there's all of life's richness in that. Uh, I'm going to pick a couple of others. I'm going to pick. Um, uh, Getz and Gilberto, which, Getz Gilberto, which was Stan Getz and um, 
yeah. uh, uh, Astrid and Jao Gilberto and you know the girl from Ipanema and everything just because I think it'd be a lovely thing to uh, lie back and listen to on a desert island and, right. and richness uh, voices and I'm going to go for the Beatles Rubber Soul um, because okay. um, uh, I can reflect on uh, on you know as in the song my life and the places and the people I remember so um, that's very nostalgic um, album for me so uh, one that I, I would definitely want to have with me I think how does that how does that very nice hey, hey that's that's perfect that's perfect it sounds like you're going to have a nice nice existence there on, on the island of, well thank of, you thank you good music to keep coming so excellent well thanks so much Orlando it's been a wonderful chat uh, absolute great pleasure to, thanks for having me yeah great to reconnect really looking forward to the book coming out in October uh, so appreciate you taking the time to uh, to chat with us today and rock and roll <laughs> Rock and roll. Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs>